Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this Faith Roots podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, hit that little bell and be sure to get the notifications that come every time we release a new podcast. And then tell somebody about this. If you would, help me to spread the word. This is free. It blesses people. Um, It's a great faith builder. And if you'll help me get this word out, I would appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And by the way, there is a free devotional that comes by email every morning as well. And you can go to myfaithroots.com and get this. Well, I want to turn you to the book of Mark, to the 11th chapter. And as we're going to Mark 11, I want to just say something about the gospel of Mark. Uh, You know, each of the Gospels had a particular theme, and uh, the book of Matthew was written for Jewish people. They were the target audience, and it presents Jesus as the king of Israel. And that's why we have the genealogy of Joseph. He he was in the line of David, and he was to be king, but uh, there was a curse that was brought on the seed of David through the prophet Jeremiah because of the disobedience of the house of David. Uh, But God never took away the promise to David that his heir would become king. And Jesus was not uh, the the, the biological son of Joseph, but he was the heir of Joseph, so therefore he qualified to be the king. Uh, And he was also biologically connected to David through Mary. And so uh, the theme of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus the servant. And we see Jesus serving. And, and, And as a result... Uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, it's just loaded with miracle stories because uh, if you make yourself last, God puts you first. And that's what you see here is God is just confirming His approval on His servant. You see Jesus as the perfect man in the Gospel of Luke, and then you see Him in the Gospel of John as the resurrected King, the eternal Word of God. John's the only one who talks about Him like that. So here's Mark. And he's showing Jesus as a man of great action. And uh, this was written for the Romans. Now, the next day, Mark eleven twelve, when they had come out from Bethany, a little town not very far from Jerusalem, just a few miles away, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard that. Now the next morning, as they passed by, verse 20 says, They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, this story is given to teach us uh, the power of faith over the natural creation. Jesus said that you could speak to a mountain 
and it would have to obey you. Well, you'd have to have a reason for speaking to that mountain, and you would need a promise from God for speaking to that mountain. But if you had that promise and God had given you the verse, uh, you could speak to that mountain, and it would be cast in the sea. So this is the key to the power of God's spoken word and faith. Faith and God's spoken word go together. When you have faith, you're going to speak the word of God. Now, this story is also prophetic because uh, Jesus curses the fig tree, and what he's about to do is reverse the fall of man. He's going to pay for the sins of the whole world. He's the second Adam. He's going to obey God, whereas the first Adam disobeyed God. He is going to obey God. Now, I believe that Jerusalem is the place where the Garden of Eden was. And the reason I believe that is because of all the controversy that there is over Jerusalem and the fact that God picked Jerusalem for Jesus to die at and to be raised from the dead. He also picked it for Abraham to offer Isaac. It was very significant, a very significant city for David Uh, So, uh, you know, there's nothing in Scripture that just comes right out and says this is where the Garden of Eden was. But I believe that the cross is where the tree was, where Adam lost it, is where the second Adam got it back. Uh, That's just one of my personal beliefs. really doesn't matter here nor there. And if you don't believe that, I respect your right to be wrong. But uh, anyway... Uh, the fig tree being cursed here is a prophetic way of Jesus saying, I'm going to undo the fall. What happened when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden? He and his wife Eve covered themselves with fig leaves. And now that Jesus is going out of Jerusalem, he's going down uh, this road out of the city back to Bethany. I think he's cursing the fig tree to show I'm about to undo everything. That happened here. I also believe that he really was hungry, that he wanted to eat figs off that tree. And the fact that it had green leaves, it promised maybe the possibility of figs, so he goes there to see it. But uh, anyway, th- there were no figs on the tree. So when he cursed the fig tree, the apostles were, were a little surprised the next day, and they said to him, uh, and it was Peter who spoke up, he said, Look, uh, Master, the fig tree that you cursed is withered away. Jesus answered and he said this, have faith in God. Some translations say have the faith of God. The the Greek, I think, more literally would say be having the faith of God. It's a continuous action verb. And I like that idea because faith is not something you get once and have forever. It's something you have to take care of. you got to maintain it. You have to keep it up. You have to refresh it. You have to replenish it. Just because you had strong faith a year or two ago doesn't mean you got strong faith today. You have to feed faith on a daily basis. That's why you read the Word of God. You meditate the Word of God. When you find yourself having a difficult time focusing on what you're reading, sometimes it helps just to say it out loud. You've be blown away at what happens when you read the Word of God aloud to yourself. Remember this, the Scripture says it like this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's one thing for you to hear faith coming from a teacher, and that's good, but there's something amazing that happens when your own spirit hears your voice saying God's Word through your lips, those sound waves traveling from here 
to hear. It has an amazing ability to convey faith. You can build your own faith. You can hear through your own voice what God has said, and it's a powerful way of building faith. It's something that has to done, be done repeatedly. It has to be fed daily. So here's what Jesus is teaching. He is teaching the apostles, you too will have this power. He's not just saying, isn't that amazing? Do you see what I just did? That, that was never Jesus. Jesus came to become a man to show us how to do what we're supposed to do. He didn't come to dash our hopes by saying, you guys could never attain to this. Now listen to me. None of us will ever do all that Jesus did. But you know we're supposed to, as individuals, do some of what Jesus did. I have my part to play. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 for just a second because this is so potent. It's a prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for the church. And, you know, a lot of times we look at how great Jesus was and He had the Holy Spirit without measure and none of us can be like Him. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to Him, and that's the Lord Jesus, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, listen to this, it's according to the power that works in us. In other words, God wants to do things in us that would be not just what we can think, not just what we ask or think, not just above what we ask or think, not just above all we ask or think, exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. That's what God wants to do. God's plans are so much bigger than our plans. What He can do for you, what He will do in you, it's so much greater than what you've imagined for yourself. And it still wouldn't even begin to measure up to all the things that Jesus did. But you know what? It's important that we fulfill what God has called us to do. And God has given us this authority, this same kind of authority. No, none of us are as strong in it as Jesus. But we can operate in it to some degree, and we need to. For assuredly, I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will come to pass or be done, he will have whatever he says. Oh my goodness, that's such a potent verse. I've got to tell you a story. When uh, Years ago, this is it's over 30 years ago, my oldest daughter was playing with another group of kids in the warehouse of our ministry. And my older boys were playing basketball with me, and uh, my brothers-in-law were with us. It was Christmas holidays. We were playing three-on-three. We had a little concrete basketball court, which ruined my knees. Uh, because we played on the concrete all the time. And, and, but, but, but my daughter always loved to go because she could play hide-and-go-seek in the boxes. Well, she was crawling along a shelf about seven feet in the air, and one of those boxes was half empty. And when she put her left hand on it, it collapsed, and she lost her balance. She rolled off and landed headfirst on the concrete floor. She screamed bloody murder. I went and comforted her, but she was not the same after that. And so I took her home, and when we saw her, my wife said, I think you need to get her to the clinic. So we called the clinic, and they said, well, uh, we're not going to be open that much longer. I said, please stay open until we get there. And there was an ice storm, and so we were driving slowly. And I got to the clinic right after it closed, and they wouldn't see us. 
And so all I could do was take her back home. I took her back home, and she started throwing up. And uh, that night, I watched her all night long. I put with two sofas that matched each other. They faced each other, and I, I fixed them so that I could lay there and pray over her and uh, put a, a, a trash can there that she could throw up in. And all night long, she would throw up, and I would watch her. And the first thing we did the next morning is we got her to our pediatrician, and they examined her. They said, get her to the clinic right now. We went to the clinic, and they did a CAT scan. And when they did the CAT scan, the technician brought me all of the pictures in a big manila folder or an envelope. And he said, take this across the street right now to the hospital, and they'll be waiting on you there. Go to the emergency room. They will be looking for you. So we went there. They checked us right in. Uh, we've been to the emergency room before for broken arms. And, you know, I remember my boys holding their arm, and they were crying. And, and we'd still sit there for hours, but not this day. This day, we were there for maybe, maybe five minutes. And in no time, we were in pediatric intensive care. And I was met by a neurosurgeon, not a nurse. I was met immediately by a neurosurgeon. And he told me, Mr. George, your daughter has a blood clot on her brain. In fact, I am shocked that she is still conscious. That blood clot appears to be about an inch thick and as big as her hand. It's massive. And uh, we've got to evacuate that blood clot. We've got to get it off. They're going to bring you some papers, and we'll be uh, operating on her shortly. And so as I was getting this news, the worst thing that could happen, worry in its worst form, began to hit me. I can tell you, you can think an amazing volume of negative thoughts in an instant of time. And those thoughts were coming at my mind as fast as a machine gun could shoot bullets. I'm telling you, I was seeing her funeral. I was seeing her dying. I was seeing the doctor walking back to us with, with, with a, a grim look on his face face, apologizing for not being able to say her, save her. I could see the funeral. I saw my wife crying over the loss of our daughter. I'm telling you, it was a horrible, horrible thing coming at my mind. So where was God? Well, God didn't show up with the cavalry. God showed up with a still small voice. And this is the still small voice that I heard in my spirit. Jesus said that if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things that you say will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. I knew that that was the Holy Spirit, and I knew it was His style. You know, we think that for something to be God, He's got to blow trumpets and clang cymbals and all that kind of stuff, but think about this. When Christ was raised from the dead, they went into the tomb afterward and they found his grave clothes folded. That is not the mark of somebody who claims or clangs cymbals and beats a big drum after a great work. Jesus didn't. He basically folded his clothes so as to show that this was another day at the office for Almighty God. That is not the way a natural man behaves. A natural man scatters his clothes all over the cemetery to celebrate this great victory, but not God. So when God speaks in a still, small voice, it is his way of saying, I have this under control. And that's why he wants us to be calm like he is calm. We have a peace that passes all understanding. So I said this calmly to myself. Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast to the sea. Shall not doubt in your heart, shall believe that those things that you say will come to pass. You'll have whatever you say.
Therefore, I say my daughter will live and not die. I say they'll evacuate the blood clot. I say there'll be no complication. I say she will not have any of the side effects that this surgery could possibly cause. By that time, I'd already seen the paper and I had to promise not to sue over 30 or 40 different things that could happen as a result of that brain surgery. It's a very critical thing. Well, for two days, I said that verse to myself at least a thousand times, over and over and over and over. And my daughter did recover within just a few hours. They did the surgery. She was out. There was no complication. We went home in a couple of days. There has been no side effect ever. It saved my daughter's life. But it brought me great peace, and I would have great peace whenever I said that verse. What did I do? I followed the teaching of Jesus. I released faith into that situation, and I changed circumstances that God did through me. But I did it by focusing on the spoken word. Now, that was not my first time to hear that verse. I had learned that verse 20 years before. I had never used it a single time in prayer. That was my first time ever. And in fact, I actually didn't even pray. This verse was perfect for me because I needed something that I could do over and over because whenever I would speak that verse, I would have peace. The minute I quit talking, the bad thoughts came right back. So I said this verse over and again. Now here's what it says. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, I spoke to the mountain of a blood clot, be removed and be cast into the sea. And I spoke to that blood clot, it's got to be removed. And shall not doubt in your heart. Now listen to me. You can't stop doubt from coming to your head, but you can keep it from getting to your heart. It has to ride the elevator, and here's the floor that opens the door to your heart right here. And I knew if I can keep doubt out of my mouth, I will keep doubt out of my heart. And over and again, I said, Jesus said, you will have whatever you say. He didn't say you'll have what you feel. He said you'll have what you say. He didn't say you'll have what you believe. He did say you had to believe, but he didn't say you'd have what you believe. He said you'd have whatever you say. If I said that verse once, I said it a thousand times, and we won one of the greatest victories of our lives by standing on that verse. Faith doesn't work without you speaking it, but you can't speak it if it first isn't in your heart. If you are speaking it because somebody else said it and you heard them and this is just you doing a copycat thing, you will not have great faith. You need to put God's Word in your heart before the battle comes so that when it comes, the Holy Spirit has that verse ready to bring back to you. That's exactly what He did for me. Well, that's all the time we have for today's lesson. Uh, but this is too big a subject for me to cover even in one week. We're going to jump right back into it this next Monday. So don't miss that. And be sure to tell somebody about it. Thank you very much.